there are certain sentences that carry a lot of weight in your day. Uh, when you hear them, when you encounter them, they can change your attitude, your spirit, your outlook. Um, one that I've learned in the past year, how you be. Um, never heard that before until I got here. and It is a customary greeting, Brother Gus, and every time he asks me, I just get a little bit brighter inside. It, uh, it makes my day. Um, some others, you know, uh, you're special. Um, it's time to eat. That's a good one. Um, but perhaps the, the most powerful one is the simple sentence, I love you. It can change your whole perspective on the day in terms of what you're dealing with. And it's especially powerful in those times when you don't feel lovable, when you don't feel like you deserve anybody's love, or you don't feel like, um, you know, you're somebody who's worthy of any kind of attention from anybody. Just to hear those words, I love you, changes things. And this morning, as we continue looking at the names uh, of Jesus, the different names that he has uh, have been revealed that are connected to him, that are a part of his character, his nature, we come to one that I believe says most clearly, I love you. And that's the name Emmanuel. It's a name that is never directly applied to Jesus as a name. It's, you never hear him directly called Emmanuel in the scriptures. Nobody addresses him that way. And yet it is applied to him, and it is the name that probably most directly describes his nature, his character. It's a name that means God with us. God is with us. It's found only three times in Scripture. It's found in Isaiah 7, where we start this morning. Um, it's a part of God's expression, communication to Ahaz. We talked about this last week, just to, to fill you in, just to remind you of what, what's going on in Israel at this time. Ahaz is feeling pressured. He's being attacked by two neighbors to the north, and he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know where to turn. He doesn't know what he ought to, how he ought to respond to the circumstance of the situation. And so God sends Isaiah in to Ahaz to tell him, just trust in God. Just put your confidence in Him. Just relax in Him and, and know that He's got this. He, he, he's got it covered. But Ahaz, because of his pride, because of his arrogance, because of his fear, whatever it was, for some reason simply did not want to trust God. God said, ask any sign, any sign, heaven, on earth, any place, I'll do it for you. And Ahaz was like, nope, not going to do it. Because if I do it and you give me that sign, then I actually have to act on that, don't I? And so, no, I'm really not interested in, in that, God. I'm really not interested in responding to you. And so Ahaz said, or Isaiah says to Ahaz, is it enough that you're wearing me out? Now you got to wear God out too. You, you're, you're making God tired, okay, because he told you what it is you need to do. And you're just not listening. You're sinning. You're, you're disobeying. You're rejecting God's message. And so Isaiah says, therefore, you didn't want a sign. I'm going to give you one anyway. 
a, a, a woman will conceive. She'll bear a child. Now, in the original context, Isaiah is probably talking about someone right there. Okay? And he's not talking in the original context about a virgin birth, per se. Okay? He, the best way to translate that in the original context is, look, see that woman over there? She's going to conceive and she's going to bear a child. And before that child reaches the age of 13, these enemies that are attacking you, they're going to be done away with. That's in the original context. Because that's what God is doing. He's giving a sign to Ahaz about his sin. But in, a, in saying that, Isaiah says, this sign that I'm giving you, this, this expression that I'm giving you, it's a sign that God is with us. It's a sign that even though you've sinned, Ahaz, even though you've rejected God's word, even though you've rejected God's offer, even though you've rejected God's patience and, and love and investment in you, even though you've done all that, he's still with us. That's what this child is, is a sign of. The second time it's used is a chapter later. And the, the, at this point, the child has been born that Isaiah was talking about. And the child is Isaiah's own son, Mahir Shalal Hashbaz. Okay? I just love that name. It's one of my favorite names in Scripture. Um, whenever I play um, uh, fantasy football, you know, y'all, anybody play fantasy football out there? Ever played it? Nobody. Oh, you poor people. All right. Okay, we got one up here. All right. Anyway, um, it's, it's the team name that I always choose. It means speed the spoil, hasten the prey. Okay? Bring on the destruction. That's what the name means, which is, I, I guess, uh, those of us who have had sons, we know that's probably a good name to name any son. Bring on the destruction. Um, <laughs> um, that's what Isaiah names his kid, but it, he, his son. But there in chapter 8, as he's talking about his son, he uses this word, O Emmanuel. And he reflects that the birth of the son is a sign of God's presence with Israel, but God's also going to do something extraordinary in the future, something bigger in the future. And then the third time it's used in Scripture is in our passage this morning, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Ken read it just a, a few moments ago. And here you have a heightened sense. Here you have uh, what God often does with the prophet's word, what God often does with, with our words and our expectations. He takes what was expressed in that original context, and he expands it beyond what anybody could have imagined, beyond what anybody could have believed. See, the virgin, behold, the virgin will bear a child. And here, he's not talking about just any woman. He's not talking about just any normal birth. He's not talking about just any circumstance. He's talking about a woman who's never been with a man, and yet she has conceived a child. She is with child. And the reason that is important, the reason that is significant is because this child is not just any child. This child literally is Emmanuel. This child literally is God with us. He's not the product of a relationship between a man and a woman. He's not the product of, of normal, natural occurrences. He is the investment of God in history. He is literally God with us. And that is a that is a miracle. It is a miracle that that is of immense significance, not just in terms of uh, the metaphysical aspect of it that, that God 
has become man, but in the sense of the relational emphasis that God has connected with us. We cannot know the God of this universe unless He Himself breaks into creation, unless He Himself reveals Himself. He's otherworldly. He's beyond us. He's above us. He's transcendent. He's powerful. He's awe-inspiring. He, the whole universe is in His hands. He's huge. He's big. How can we possibly ever conceive of a God like that? How can we possibly ever relate to a God like that unless He condescends and comes and reveals Himself in some significant way to us? And He's done that through other miracles. He's done that through His Word. But now He's done that by He Himself coming and dwelling amongst us, becoming one of us. It's a miracle relationally, not just in the fact that we can know Him, but in the fact that He has brought deliverance that was beyond our expectations. God delivered Ahaz despite his expectations. Ahaz's thought, Ahaz's perspective was, there's just no way out of this. I've lost. And God said, nope, not today you haven't. Today I am intervening. Today I am changing your future, your prospects, your uh, outlook. Today I'm doing something you can't imagine could have been accomplished. And in our lives, when we think about the fact that God is with us, that God dwells within us, we can realize and we can recognize and we can understand that God's doing a deliverance in us that's beyond our imagination, that's beyond our comprehension. God made you who were enemies, His sons and daughters. God made you who was dead, now alive. God made you who was separated from Him, now at peace with Him. And this God continues to walk with you, continues to dwell with you, continues to change you and, and, and transform you into some new creation. We're immediately a new creation upon the moment of salvation, but He continues to make us a new creation. He continues to help us to grow. We've all had teachers or individuals in our life who have played a significant role in our development as people. Sometimes we're good, sometimes we're bad. But in every one of those instances, those people at some point in our life leave for various reasons. They move, they pass, maybe just a different time in life and situation, circumstance. Those people will leave us. But God doesn't leave us. He continues to help us to grow. He continues to, to help us to understand. Now, the word, as encouraging as it is that God is with us, it, it's also an expression of judgment. When Isaiah speaks it to Ahaz, there's a, there's a tone of judgment there. Yes, God's still with you, even in your sin, but there's judgment that's going to happen here. It's expressed in terms of what the child is said to eat, the child in that original context. He, he's going to eat curds. He's going to hurt, eat honey. He's going to eat just the, the, the basic staples of life. He won't have a luxurious life. Jesus is born where? In a manger. This is an expression of the judgment on Ahaz's actions. Why was Jesus not born in Jerusalem? Micah says, 
Jesus wasn't born in Jerusalem because Jerusalem wasn't worthy of him. God was judging Jerusalem. But it moves from that judgment to salvation. It moves because the child who was born on the manger would many years later find himself on the cross. It moves because the the experience that Ahaz himself was going through was one that God would move and direct toward salvation to this child that's coming that we looked at last week, the Prince of Peace, the one who changes our status. God with us is also an expression of comfort. He's with us in our sorrows. He's with us in our griefs. But it is ultimately and foremost a promise. A promise of His presence. I've noted before that I think that the promise I am with you is the primary promise in all of Scripture. And I want to do just a, a quick survey here of Scriptures that talk about how God is with us. To help us to see how broad this promise is and how many times He applies it in areas that are, are important to us. One of the first experiences is in First Chronicles chapter 17. David, who is the shepherd. He, he's, he's dealt with taking care of sheep. He's dealt with you know the difficulties that come along those lines. But now he's going to be king. Why don't you think about that? Why don't you think about what a huge transition that was for David? Okay? He was a shepherd boy. Somebody who's taking care of sheep. And now he's going to be ruler of all of Israel. You talk about a promotion. Okay? You talk about um, a situation that had to be overwhelming to him. I mean... We've all had those times, whether it's in school or at work or so forth, when somebody puts an assignment on us and we're just like, this is too big for me. This, this is more than I'm capable of. This is more than, I'm really not sure I'm the right person for this job. I'm really not sure I can carry out this assignment. And that had to be what David was feeling at that moment. So what happens? God comes to David. And he talks to David. And he says to David, David, don't worry about it. Why? Because I'm with you. He says that sentence. I am with you. And in those words, David finds encouragement. And in those times when we are facing a job, a task, a life situation that's too big, God says those words to us as well. I am with you. Though the mountain seems big, though, though the struggle seems hard, though this is more than you think you can handle, I am with you, Emmanuel. In the story, Joshua. Again, I, put yourself in Joshua's shoes because I think a lot of us have been there. He's going to lead Israel. <clears throat> but his situation is a little bit different than David. He'd been prepared. He'd been trained all these years walking beside Moses to the to do the job. His doubt's not going to be come from his training. His doubt's going to come from who he's following. Okay. Those are big shoes to fill. That's Moses. 
this is the guy who, who did it all. I mean, he led Israel out of Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. He had water come from rocks at least three times in his ministry. Okay, He stood on the mountain. Joshua watched him stand on the mountain and talk to God, and God talked back. He, he, he received the Ten Commandments and the instructions of the Covenant Code. He, he did miracle after miracle. He did task after task. He led the people faithfully for 40 years. Now he's passed, and God says, Joshua, it's your turn. And even though he'd been trained, even though he prepared, man, how do I follow in that guy's footsteps? As the book of Joshua is introduced, it, it even kind of notes this. It says, it came about that when Moses, the servant of Yahweh, died, that Joshua, the, the servant of Moses, came to lead. How do I live up to those expectations? These people have seen Moses, and now they're looking at me. These people have served Moses, and now I'm going to lead. How do I do that? And God comes to Joshua there in chapter 1. And he says, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Over and over and over again, he says, be strong and courageous. Obviously, Joshua is fearful. But then he says in verse 5, the words that bring it all together. Why? Because I am with you. I'm with you. Emmanuel. And as we face these situations, perhaps we feel like we need to live up to our parents. Perhaps we were at work and we feel like we have to live up to some other employee or, or some other reality or some other circumstance where there are big shoes to fill. How do I even begin to do that? God is with you. You look the book of Haggai. Haggai has, and the people of Israel have come back from exile in Babylon. They've lived in Babylon for about 70 years now, they've come back, and they come back to a, a land that's just decimated. It's just ruined because nobody's taken care of it for 70 years. Okay, You can imagine what the land looked like, the, the overgrowth, the, the plants, the, the trees, all sorts of things that have, that have come up that weren't there before, farmland that's, that's got to be totally reworked and all of that, buildings that are dilapidated. And in particular, the temple. The temple's in ruins. For 70 years, it's been in ruins. And God comes to the people of Israel through Haggai and says, I want you to rebuild my temple. And they, they get to work on it. They start working on it. In Haggai chapter 2, it says that Haggai's dealing with the people there, and they are frustrated because things are not turning out like they hoped they would. They were all excited. We're building the temple. This is going to be great. This is going to be amazing. We're going to have a temple to worship in. All this is going to be wonderful and exciting. It's going to be so beautiful. And they're about halfway through the construction, and they're stepping back, and they're looking down, and they're going, this is not what I expected. That's not how I thought it would turn out. I was expecting something beautiful and something grand and something important something significant, and this just looks like a dump. And God sends Haggai, and Haggai comes to the people, to the leadership, and he says, I know what you're thinking. 
And Haggai apparently haven't seen the original temple. He says, I know what the first temple looked like. And I'm looking at this, and I understand your, your, your disappointment. I do. But the glory of this temple is going to surpass the glory of that temple. And you know why that's going to happen? God gives the answer, the same answer he's been given all along. It's going to happen because I am with you. The exact same sentence. I'm with you. And in our lives and in our experience, sometimes we start to invest in things. Sometimes it's relationships. Sometimes it's you know it's family. It, it's people. Sometimes it, it's physical work. Sometimes it's it's our job. And we think it's going to go well, and we invest in it. We put time into it. We put energy into it. We put all our focus into it. And it's just not anything like we thought it would be. It's just not anything like we hoped it would. And to us, in those circumstances, in those situations, God says to us what he said to the people through Haggai, I am with you. Isaiah chapter 26. Famine in the land, a promise. This is the land that God had given Israel. This is the, the, the land that, that God had said. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, and yet now as they look around, there's famine in the land. And they don't know what to do, and they don't know where to turn, and they don't know this is not at all what we expected. And God says, I'm with you. In those times when our beliefs, when the events that we're going through don't match our beliefs, don't match our expectations, God says, I'm with you, just like he did when the world was opposing Moses in Exodus chapter 3, the greatest empire of the world was in opposition to Moses. And Pharaoh is saying to Moses, you're going to die if I see you again. God said to Moses, what? I am with you. In Jeremiah chapter 30, Israel had failed God, and so they were going to go off into exile. They were under God's judgment. They were under God's wrath. They, were, they had failed God in every part of what they were expected to relate to Him in. And yet God's response there in verse 11 is what? I am with you. You see, no matter what you're facing in this life, whether the job's too big or we have a lot to live up to or things are not turning out the way we thought they would or events don't match our beliefs or the world opposes us or we feel like we failed God. God's response is always continuously, constantly, I am with you. He is Emmanuel. And Jesus, as he was getting ready to ascend into heaven, Matthew 28, verse 20, he has just a, a few words now to leave with the disciples before he ascends. These are the words that they're going to carry with them. These are the words that are going to stick in their mind. These are the words that are going to carry them through into their next ministry. And Jesus' choice of words are what? I am with you. When we think about Christmas, when we think about Emmanuel, God being with us, we need to think of all of these realities where God has said that is indeed the case. And we need to realize that Jesus' comment there in Matthew 28 are, are words that are meant for us to carry through every situation in our life, every part of what we face, every aspect 
the doubts, the fears, the hurts, the concerns, the sin. As we face all of that, we face it mindful of the fact that He is with us. When does I love you matter the most? When we feel the most unloved. When does I am with you, God with us, matter the most? When we feel most alone. Christmas is a time of joy. We sing the joyful songs. We're excited about it. We're reflecting upon the gift and all those other things. But Christmas can also be one of the toughest times of year for people. They think of lost loved ones. They think of family that's far away. And they wish they were near. Financial issues. Doubts about the coming year. Fears about health issues and other things. They all seem to come together during this time of year. So we start standing up and we start singing joy to the world and we're thinking, okay, joy to the world, but I'm just not feeling it right now. I'm feeling alone. I'm feeling pain. I'm feeling sorrow and grief. And as much as I want to revel in the joy of the season, right now I'm just not feeling it. And it's in those times when we need to hear this name the most. God is with us. Emmanuel, though the world turn against me, though life offer me nothing but hurt and pain, God is offering me peace. And He's with me in it. He's right there beside me. And because of that, I can face the struggle. Because of this, I can overcome that mountain. Because of that, I can walk with a renewed emphasis, a renewed joy. Even in the midst of my sorrow, I can experience a joy because God is with me. That's what Emmanuel is all about. That's who Jesus truly is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you're with us. We thank you that in our struggles, in our concerns, in our hurts, in our pain. You're with us. God, I pray that if there's anyone here who's not experienced the the life-changing reality of a new life given to them through a relationship with you, Lord, that you would draw them and they would respond to that need. They'd come forward and say, I need to know that God is with me. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today who are struggling. This time of year is just tough for them. and They're not sure about a lot of things. God, I pray that you would just fill them with a, a very real sense of your presence. and That they would know that despite what they may be feeling, the reality is that you are indeed with them. And that you'll never forsake them. And that you love them. God, we ask that you just use this time of response to allow us to say thank you to you. To express just a a peace and an understanding of the fact that though we 
have failed you many times. You have never, not once, failed us. That you're with us and that you love us. Use this time for your glory, for your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen.